Welcome to another episode of the Portsmouth Basketball Podcast. We're back again. We're back. Hello. We are back. I'm your host, Mark. And I am Paul. Hello. We've got another guest, and it's a big one. Mark, it does not get bigger than this guest. The questions that you've been asking me for so many episodes now, and I've been saying to you, that's a Dan question. That's a question for Dan. Well, we have got Dan on the show, and... Uh, you can ask all those questions. So, without any further ado, here now, stand and cheer for your Portsmouth Force head coach, Daniel Fatima Day. We got a head coach here, Mark. Yeah, that's this. Lots of questions to ask. How you doing, Dan? You, you okay? Doing, Dan? You okay? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Thank you guys for calling me onto this. Uh, well, you know, it, it this is a pinnacle. I think this is one of the highlights of the of the season. I think any great organization, it all starts from the top. So it's only right that you're in that conversation. There's a lot of people at the top, but I appreciate that. And you know what? Just just starting with the reports and force. What one of the things that I really um, loved about um, Dan as the head coach, and one of the things that have been really um, apparent was the the amount of respect I think that Dan brought in and instilled into the team and into the club. So, for example, you came in, and I, I, I've said this on a few. Hello, sir. How you doing? I'm like, you call me Paul. That's fine. But then all of a sudden, the entire men's team are calling me, sir. Then that goes down under 18s, under 16s. And I do, I'm doing under 12, covering under 12 National League. And I walk in and the player comes up. Hello, sir. How you doing? That level of respect that's gone all the way through the club came from Dan. Yeah, 100%. I try not to take too much of the credit. <laughs> Is that something that you, you know, have tried to instill, like proactively or is that just something that happened naturally is that just you know a trait from you i think a big part of it is definitely my upbringing um nigerian loud and proud um my parents were big on that but then also in my earlier basketball career my earlier coaches they also recognized that not everyone was going to be a professional basketball player so it was also okay what life skills can we give to people to help them in their career and whatnot so I'm just trying to emulate them and to give the kids life skills that they can use really. Oh wow, that's really interesting. So like if so with players now, will you I mean, just say it straight to the players. If you think, you know, they're doing something wrong, you'll just say, look, this is what you're doing wrong. If you think, look, you know, your basketball might not be a career for you, are you straight with the players like that? Yeah, definitely. When I was coaching the I think we're gonna get onto it, but when I was coaching the under fourteens there'll be sometimes we're doing certain things and we're talking about working hard or trying your best. It's the same thing over the way how you want to be a better basketball player right now. You also want to be the best in your job so you can get promoted, so you can get higher paying roles and whatnot. So it's just trying to help them see the parallel between some really key skills that they can use in basketball that can also help them in life outside of basketball. Wow. There you go. Mark, this is the head coach here. <laughs> yeah, you've just gone running into it haven't you yeah yeah lovely well, dan let's go let's take everyone back to um 
you know the, the start of you know where you found your love for basketball and um you know i believe it was um in nasa in london that's where you started your your playing days yes back when i was in primary school they had some of their coaches that came into our schools to lead the PE lessons and other bits and pieces like that so i basically got picked up as one of the taller guys in the year and i was okay i got invited to a tournament played pretty well in the tournament and then from there they were like you should come along to our club and at that point they were one of the best clubs in london and in the country so that was a bit like oh cool i'll come along then and it was fun so yeah i guess the experience you're getting at that level because uh, from from what i remember you saying you were 10 years old playing national league in the under 12s yeah they threw me straight in at the deep end we had a really good core um of my year that were good enough to play in the years above so we had a couple of years at under 12 national league before we then kicked on with our own accomplishments year on year really um i guess even though it's throwing yourself in the deep end that's actually pretty good because that you know even though it's tough at that start that's just making you stronger in the future definitely 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 it made you think quicker think a lot more like you had to work harder and you knew that if you were to get onto the court at that point no one's really paying attention to how old you are it's we're on the court together so that means i have the same expectations of you as i do of someone two years older than you yeah and it, you know what it reminds me of um a portsmouth force player last season which was uh, zion lawson you know so he was still um definitely eligible for the under 18s was he 15 playing for so he's an under 16 national league player mark yeah. playing for men's national basketball yeah i mean play. the experience he is getting from that you know he's playing with men you know um have you heard from zion how's he doing yes zion's doing very well he's just recovering in the process of recovering from an injury um but the like the most exciting thing is the fact that he is going to be heading to charmwood college up in leicester in september oh, okay their academy and that's a great place for basketball players to develop take those next steps continue playing seniors so yeah it's it's really good with everything that he was able to pick up from this year well this season just gone it would have been tough for him and it was tough for him because there were some people there that were 10 years older than him but there were loads of things that he was able to learn and we're hoping that he'll be able to carry with him to Charmwood College and really continue to blossom. So let me just jump on that. In terms of those sort of academies and colleges that are really good feeders, how many of those around the country are there? That is a great question. Um, you know what? I read an article the other day. It's not just a day. pretty face, Dan. No, Come on now. That, that's a throw under the bus question. He does this a lot. Yeah. Um, I, I read an article the other day that said there were 14... Um, Look at like you doing your feeder homework. clubs that be recommend as as far as that and Solent Keshaws was one of them. That sounds about right because you've got the EABL, which is the Elite Academy Basketball League. Then you've got the division you could say below, which is the CBL and the CBL tier two. So going off of what Paul said, so there would be maybe like fourteen of the top academies yeah. in the country to go to. And you know what? The, the thing that bothered me a little bit um, about that article was... I mentioned Kestels. Yeah, other than that. <laughs> but it was it was the fact that I read it and just went, oh, right, okay, so that potentially creates bias in that area for those clubs. 
and obviously I highlighted it in, in my mind because I thought, oh right, Kesha's they're being fed really good players, and I was, you know, I'm always biased for Portsmouth, yep. so I was thinking, hey, how do we get those players that have been fed over there? Well, I think as we just had a you know a recent interview with Alex, for example, was a perfect example. Mm. He, had, he, he came to Portsmouth Force. He came came to the Force. It's a, a better club. Is that what what he said? <laughs> I'll leave you hanging on that one. <laughs> but, the, you know, the way he put it was that there's the infrastructure. That's what they have set up. You know, that, that's the draw. We're going to go play Ichner and we're going to go play down that way. And there's the draw. And it was all lined up. So I guess the question is, is that what we're ultimately trying to emulate in Portsmouth? I think we are definitely on that correct on that, road. Yeah. yeah. Because moving into this incoming season, we're going to have kids who are three four five six years old playing basketball yeah. and on the boys side we've got under 12s all the way straight through to under 18 and our men's team and it's going to be the first year where we're going to have an under 14 yes under 14 girls national league team wow as well. so and we're definitely on our way to get into that stage and even at that stage that you're at there 10 playing in the under 12s you could see a trajectory you yeah. could see where the, the end post was like oh, okay that's that's what we wanted to aspire to yeah how important is that and having that ladder for basketball in particular as a sport i think because basketball is not as mainstream as football is for example yeah so you won't really see like for example some of my brother supports manchester city and you've got oh, someone a, has to <laughs> you've got a phil foden for example who when he was at the under 10s for city he could see that oh yeah i can get through to the city first team and i can see the first team on the tv whereas for kids when they're playing basketball you don't really get that it's happening a little bit more now with the bbl on sky sports and having their own streaming service but i think for especially this year uh we're gonna have some under 12 kids we're going to be playing in the same basketball kit as the under 14s, 16s, 18s, and then yeah. the men's team who are going to have three, four hundred people in the fan in the stands. So being able to see that, oh, I, if I work hard, I can get there. It's I think that's great for kids. And those yeah. kids, one hundred percent, coming to the men's game, watching those men's game, going, I want to be playing here one day. Hundred percent, they're doing that. So what inspired you at that age of ten to want to, to play basketball? If I'm being completely honest, I enjoyed it and I was good at it. So it was pretty easy for me to be like, okay, let me continue to ride this wave. And I enjoyed the hard work. Like I enjoyed being pushed and then being able to like come to a achievement of, okay, so I'm really trying to work on my left hand here. I can't score left hand up. But three months down the line, I can score left hand up, dribbling with my left hand, doing everything with my left hand, crossing over my left hand. It's like, yes, I've, I've accomplished something. So that's what kept me going. And you did accomplish something in those really early days. You know, you had final fours and finals that you were going to. Um, and, you know, you progressed um, with one championship there before you went to Essex, right? Yeah. Final four is definitely an experience and there's those experiences with those players with those coaches those are experiences that i'll never forget i'm in contact with one or two of them still now but it's very much a experience and skills that you can't teach people until they've gone through themselves and all i try and do is with my with the experiences i had is how can i try and feed this into the players so 
if and when Portsmouth Force finally do get a team that are going to when Dan when 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 when, that are going to the junior final fours in Manchester I can give them the little nuggets that they need so instead of what usually happens people being starstruck with the fans the crowd the lighting for the whole first half they now only have to worry about it for the first quarter and they can and then they can really get down to business I mean the fans the crowd the lighting that's just a normal force game these days isn't it (laughs) You're not wrong. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> How important is an atmosphere? Huge. Like, definitely huge. I think when it first started, a lot of the guys were a little bit nervous. And even me to start off with, I was like, wow, there's like three, four hundred people behind you down, you know, like, shouting, watching the game. So that's a bit like, oh, okay. But then eventually you get used to it. And when you've got the crowd that are screaming and shouting when you're scoring or when your team's playing well, it's like, oh, this is good support. But then when you know your team's not playing very well and the crowd's quite quiet, it reminds you that this game that you're coaching or this game that you're playing is bigger than just yourself. It's bigger than just 12, 15 guys and a couple of coaches. This is a whole city here that's supporting you. Yeah, definitely. And you know what? The one thing, and you know what? I'm saying this, you know, from a fan now and I'm speaking on behalf of everyone who comes to the the games we're all just watching it wanting you and the team to do well Mm. um and when that starts happening it's just great to be just great to be there isn't it that's great vibe it's a great vibe and and you can when the crowd are putting something into it and then the play's going the right way then that infuses the crowd which then infuses the players and you can see uh that flow and everyone's just enjoying that experience of what's going on except the team you're playing against obviously but. <laughs> and we have and, and where we are we have that really unique view yep where when well, something happens next to you, so that's, that is definitely a unique view <laughs> we get to see when something happens we're facing you all the players and the crowd behind you so we get that real unique view where we just see the play the reaction all in one glance um, and I think if I wasn't doing the announcing and the music and stuff, I think I would sit on the side that we're at where there's just one row of chairs to get that experience. Yeah. Someone say VIP. I think that is a VIP. You know what? I did consider the other day they could put a row of seats behind, uh, in front of the bleachers, but behind the players, like literally, for, and say these are floor seats and you're right behind the players. That, that would give you an extra 40, 50 seats people to sit down Probably, yeah. yeah i mean i know they're doing the uh the, the corners this year so they're going to pack it out a bit more there and dan i don't know if you heard but paul has actually committed that um once he, <laughs> once he wins the euro millions he's actually going to build a stadium that's a three thousand seater that's dedicated with no badminton courts <laughs> no <laughs> that's that's the stipulation There's and no other lines just the court i'm going to be controversial here mark what size court or, would it be we haven't actually said that uh are not allowed in the building <laughs> oh wow that's a big job that's that's a, what because dan Let actually mentioned about everyone's court irritated sizes. by badminton lines because there are different court sizes so are there other is there i want to say not regulation size court i know that's a joke but is there if you're playing in the league you have to stay within a certain boundary that, that court size yes this is where i'm showing my knowledge or lack thereof um but there you do find when you go to some courts that they are they are a little bit either a little bit shorter yep. 
or the space between the side and the 3.9 is a little bit smaller okay. so there are certain regulations that need to be met for the courts to be like valid for any national league games at least senior games um and then with and then i think there's extra regulations and stipulations for it to be good enough to be used for fiba regulated games yeah so there are some in there because i know we said about for example i think very good by the end of the season the capacity is going to be the issue more than anything else yeah that's what we're hoping for. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'd love it if it was. And the only place we could think of at the moment is Mount Batten that has bleachers both sides that can come out. But, I mean, that floor is unforgiving. Well, actually, you say that, they have just changed the floor. I, I was there recently, they've changed the floor, so it is a little bit... Um... I mean, I was there yesterday, but I was swimming, so that's not... <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, no purpose of adding in the It's not an amazing floor, but it's better than... Better than the concrete, one. Shiny concrete, which is what it was. Yeah, that was... Oh, you fell down and that. Uh, you hurt your you ego, hurt. then you hurt your leg. <laughs> I, you know what? I don't know. I don't know why this just popped in my in my mind, but um, I remember playing a national league game there, and um, we had a guy called Craig Teasdale, one of the founders of the Kestrels, and you know he did. He he went to um, shoot, and a defender, you know, absolutely got sold it, jumped in the air. Craig went around. And this guy's knee brushed his... That's how high up this guy was. This, guy, this guy's knee brushed his shoulder. And he came down on this court. And you could see his hands were coming down to stop. So he was coming like head first. Hands were trying to stop. And for some reason, just as he went to get the floor, his hands kind of came back and his like, face straight on the Mountbatten floor, right in front of the bench. I was obviously sat on the bench. And um, literally, he, he pulled his um, hands away from his mouth and his two front teeth fell out. And it was like, oh my God. Oh, there's your passport photo. That is um, <laughs> that is the Mountbatten court floor. Yeah, yeah, that is awful. What's the best best court you've ever played Ooh. or coached with? I think that would, def mm, that would definitely have to be the National Basketball Performance Centre in Manchester. Yeah? Yeah. Newcastle Eagles, their court up there as well is also pristine. But I was working as an analyst. But the court that I've coached on, definitely the the main performance center in Manchester. Is it as springy as like an NBA court? Because I, I was always I was surprised first time I went on one, how much give there is on those courts. Now I wouldn't know because I haven't been exposed to an NBA court. But I would like to believe it's close because they've held some FIBA regulated games there as yeah, well. Yeah, it's just got that little bit of give and you think, mm. oh, oh, I've got a little bit of, yeah, hello. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's always interesting, the the court, as it's all the, I won't say all the little things, but if you've got a court that's messy, if you've got a court that's busy, if the, the rings are a certain way, they're all, I know they're all incremental, but when uh, people train on a certain court or a certain type of court, and then they'd have an away game. It, it could be, I want to say completely different, but there could be enough difference to think, oh, hang on a minute, this is this feels wrong. There's there's more spring in this, or there's, I don't know, different types of backboard, or who knows. Got this great, we've got this great conversation for anyone listening now. 
between Dan and Paul uh, when they're writing to each other. <laughs> I don't know, some sort of love note here going on. Uh, you know what? I'm just getting some extra stats. What does it say? How do you shut Mark up? He's oh, getting some yeah, extra stats Sorry. from Dan. I've got, I just had a question for him and I didn't want to interrupt you. Um, so, you know, Dan, going um, back then, you know, obviously you had that National League experience and then you, you know, you ended up moving. Um, to, to Essex and you know carry on playing your National League game with um, is it Thurrock? Thurrock Hornets. Thurrock yeah, uh, yeah. Hornets. Um, and then also you had your experience um, you know in the London regionals and you know counties and that led all the way up to university. Yes so as when I moved we moved to Essex that's I carried on playing under 18 National League which was fun but no final falls unfortunately. Um, and then I had some exposure playing county level basketball in Essex. Um, just before we moved to Essex, I also got selected for a London regional team. So that was fun because that was a very high level with some of the guys who I used to play with then are now professional basketball players. So just to say that I was able to play with them was also a bit of fun. Um, and then when I finished there, came down to the University of Portsmouth where I played for two out of my three years coach the team my final year and this is you know th this is what i heard and thought was like a really um interesting story because it, it it reminded me of um a story i'd heard at mickey burns funeral where he was playing and for whatever reason in a game he ended up coaching and then all of a sudden it was like it was really evident that he was actually better coaching than um and uh, than what he was contributing on the team and he just became a coach so you got injured at university and that's where you started to discover hang on i'm all right at coaching here yeah so my first ever exposure to coaching was when i was with Dark hornets i used to turn up to my sessions early and there was a young age group before us so i used to help out with that coaching session but when he actually came to me coaching a team myself it was from university so my second year um as basketball players do i rolled my ankle but it was quite a bad one so I was out for a couple of months and then after that the season was basically done and because people knew I would do I was doing some kind of coaching they asked me whether I wanted to coach the team in my final year and I was like why not it's a good experience and I enjoyed it I realized I was okay at it and we did pretty well so I thought maybe this is something that I can roll with so how old are you doing that then Dan? So I was 20, 21. Damn. That's young to be coaching. Oh, yeah. Very. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've got to, put, got to take hat off to you for that. I mean, that's, that's to step into that and say, yeah, I'll, I'll take that on. Well, it it's, has similarities between a bit like what we were saying with Zion, getting that experience early. So Dan was getting that coaching yeah. experience early. You know, just touching on something you said, I thought is is a really interesting question. Um, and I'm just curious how you deal with it as a coach. So ankle injuries are, you know, we all, all basketball players get them. Yeah. But, you know, it's sometimes the, the mental injury that takes longer to heal than the physical injury. So any basketball player listening to this will know you roll your ankle, you know, you're out for anything between what? six weeks maybe three months if it's really really bad but then you come back to the game and you're driving into the hole and all of a sudden your brain is telling it saying ah, stop stop and you're looking sometimes you're going up for a shot and you're looking down at your at your feet where you're landing as a coach how do you try to help players with that 
It's interesting you say that because we had that experience with a player this year just gone where they'd previously had quite a big injury and when they were coming back into it, they weren't too sure. Like they were stopping themselves from going full pelt to the rim and whatnot. And it was just a thing of encouragement and putting them in situations where we can build it up. So maybe we do some finishing stuff um, with a pad and then we might progress to finishing stuff with a stationary defender before we went to finishing stuff with a passive defender before it then got to a thing of, okay, we're now playing proper one-on-one and you can only go to the room and finish for that specific individual. So I think it's just slowly building up their confidence in that area because most of the time the mental thing is is the toughest part to get past. But once he was able to get past that, he was back to his old self where he was, yeah. Yeah, we saw work. it. We saw it. And at the start of the season, um, if you go back to the episode where we spoke to Alex Grant, we were talking about Zach, Zach Riabi, you know, where he, 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 I think he was at wrist or something like that. Yeah. Um, but at the start of the season, that's when we found out about it because we were watching him drive and he was hesitant. And I remember saying to you, I bet he's, I bet he's been injured. He's, he's something's mentally stopping him here. And that's when um, I think he told us about it. And um, but by the end of the season, there was a few times where we were like, no, he's going. This is it. You know, this was, it was great. No, that's I think that's really interesting there to get to get your perspective on that, because that's I think that's significant for players sometime. Um, you know, so I mean, that was a great introduction and from to your your playing career up to the point where you've gone you know i could be a damn good coach here so and and you've been getting that encouragement um and you know i love what comes next in your career um at university i was a mathematician as well and you you know how vital statistics are in everything I think the um, the famous Isaiah Thomas quote was, the numbers never lie. I love that. I use it all the time, that one. So from university, you were really getting into your statistical analysis of stuff, and that's where your career started going into the analysis of basketball. Yeah, so at university, I studied sports and exercise science. And within that, there were some coaching modules, but there were also some biomechanics modules. And I thought the concept of performance analysis was a nice overlap between the two and I went on to go and do my master's in sports performance analysis and that's where I really got to grips with it's more than just video and stats it's trying to connect the why that a lot of the time the stats will tell you what happened but the supporting video will give you the additional and added context or the video and the numbers might support the coaches thoughts on a player or thoughts on a certain set play working or not or it might disprove it or it might give the player some extra added confidence if they think they're a shooter in it but they're in a shooting slump and you can put the numbers across to them that actually your percentages are still the same just a little bit off or you show them the video of actually all the shots that you're taking are the normal ones you are taking but there's a slight tweak in your form that is coming because you're compensating from an injury you've just come back from, for example. So it was really interesting for me to see things from that side of things. And it also was able to get me onto some coaching staff without having to be a super duper experienced coach. <laughs> hey, whatever angle you can get. Can yes. you overanalyze? 
Oh yeah, 100%. There is a fine balance. I'm never one to be like, okay, so the numbers say this and this is what it is. It's the numbers say this, okay. What does a video say? Does a video match up, okay. When we're in play, how does it think? How does it feel? Do we agree with it? Because sometimes you can look at the numbers and actually be like, okay, although the numbers say this, I still think this and I'm going to roll with this. Like it's happened where I've shown a coach that these are the stats for someone. Like there was this one when I was at Reading, which is where I was doing my masters. There was one kid where his numbers were saying that he was a really good mid-range shooter. But our coach was big on, okay, let's space the floor, let's get to the rim, let's shoot threes. And I was like, okay, I know you want the guys to shoot threes, but this guy is like 50% from the mid-range. And coach was like, okay, Daniel, that's a really interesting point. Thank you for that. But for our team concepts and what I want us to do is I want us to be super aggressive going to the rim or shooting threes. And I was like, okay, you're the boss. How did that pan out? He still shot his mid-ranges and he was, was never a great three-point shooter. However, within the system of what coach wanted, he was still able to be pretty effective. And at that point, you've got to be like, okay, that's where I'm learning as being a head coach. If you have a style of play, you can either adapt it if you for a player or you can get the player to adapt to your style of play while still keeping them effective. Knowing what you know now, would you have run it differently? If that had been your call. Would I have run it differently? No. No. I, I probably would have done the same thing because even though he was a 50% uh, mid-range shooter, we had really good three-point shooters and he was decent going to the rim as well. So instead of having something that's okay, let's go with something that's pretty good, that gives you a higher value, yeah so that's i would i would still roll that coach but again, again like an, another example of that is someone like um kobe where if you look at his last game in the nba i think it was his first five six shots he just threw up air balls or bricks or whatever you know you focus on those stats and go okay he needs to sit down he doesn't score 61 that points that night so it's it's all taking it taking in the contents and i guess sometimes as a coach you have that gut feeling going hey you know what let's say simon on an has a bad day during the game let's not say yet <laughs> but if he did they haven't and it's a tight and it's a tied game you're still confident giving him the ball aren't you yeah, 100%. it's like you know. Let, let, let's go win the game, and we'll forget about your off day. Um, so uh, you know, I, lo I love that um, stats thing, and you know, we were trying to feed you that at the start of the the fourth season this year. Um, sorry, in the last season, because we could see how valuable that was. Yeah. Um, but our challenge was being able to do everything which we just couldn't do. But it turned out to be a silver lining because that led to the in-game sounds. Yeah. But also trying to match up as well the way that the courts are run and having the stats and recording the right ones at the right time. Mm. The ones that are just, I want to say they're not the basic stats, but how many people have got fouls, etc. That's one thing, but we were trying to record the how effective they were in certain places and give you that information to take one thing away. Yeah. But 
it, yeah, you can only juggle so many plates, can't you? And the challenge we had with that was the, to, to do the statistical analysis and try to give Dan that information or KP that information for half time at the end of the game. It was almost a detriment to the entertainment side of things because mm. I'm now saying a name. I'm also saying a name whilst trying to record a, an assist, a steal, and two points um, and a foul. And it was just, it became too, too much. Is there a thing at this level as well, if you had the players, say you had a full full team of analysts, all there scoping the game, every game, would there be a point of thinking, oh no, that's putting them, a, 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 giving the players a level of pressure because they're thinking every shot's being judged, everything's being marked, even though it is at the moment, but it's being judged and recorded and it adds another layer of that. Because I mean, I know obviously at the top tier, that's what happens. Mm. I think National League from Division 2 up, that's where you get the stats. That's, yes. I think, yeah. I could be wrong, but I'm assuming every team has to have a statistician at that point. Yeah, once you get to level 2, you do. Um, but to answer your question, Mark, before I answer your question, actually, luckily for us this year, we do have a student who's part of a university basketball team um, who's volunteering to be a performance analyst for us this year. Oh, wow. Amazing. Yeah. So There we go. There's, there's the nugget you were after. So they can sit is, with us if they want to. That, we could feed on that. Yeah. That is a good thing that we're trying to do. And kind of like what you said, we're trying to start off with the most important and impactful stats in the moment that we think can help us make in-game adjustments to help us win. And then we will do like a complete score sheet and box score. There we go. After the game and whatnot. Um, and now when we're talking about if there was a whole team of analysts, I think that because sometimes I forget this, but when you're a player, a lot of the time, once you get onto the court, there are like a little bit of nerves of, oh, this person's watching. Oh, we've got two assistant coaches. Oh, there's these guys doing this. But once the ball's gone up and now you've got to defend someone else, you've got to box out and rebound, you've got to come down and execute the set. All of those other things completely go out of your mind. The fact, like once I start coaching, I forget there's three, four hundred people behind me. I only remember at the end of quarters and at half time. <laughs> like, I'll be completely honest <laughs> with you. That's when I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot you guys were here. But outside of that, you are so locked in because there's so many different things you have to focus on. So I don't think it really crosses the guy's mind. Cool. I mean, I, I almost think it's worth, I don't know if it's worth Dan talking to Steve, I was going to say that, but one of the guys who came on the show, Steve Ware, we're going to get him back because we started talking about um, the Steve is, you know, was in an IT career, completely stopped his career and got into, you know, um, the psychology of mental wellness and stuff like that. And, mindfulness. You know, mindfulness, that's his whole career. And he was talking from a basketball perspective um, to a term called flow where they, you get in the flow where you're just concentrating on everything in the game. Um, and I suppose when you're talking about worrying about stats, worrying about the crowd, that kind of thing that someone like Steve could, you know, inject into the team yeah, to sort people's heads out, um, you know, might be might be valuable. Yeah, to, to be able to, exactly what Daniel said there, to be able to turn off and, and forget that. That's quite difficult, as you said at the beginning, with doing some of the the sounds and you can turn the lights on and off or whatever but at the beginning for players it, it was 
a bit disconcerting, but like, yeah. oh, okay, this is oh, my name's my name's being read out, and there's quite a lot of people here. I mean, it's some, pressure. Some what of the other pressure. games they go to, nothing like that. And, and, and you know, what like size that. audience are you getting at some of those other games? You will be lucky to get 50 people. Yeah. Oh, really? Thanks, yeah. mum and okay. dad, sort of scenario. If, yeah. if that. The one thing I remember is I went to the the Bogner away game, um, and there were more. I felt could be wrong but i felt there are more supporters from portsmouth to watch the bogner game than there were bogner fans yeah. and i was sitting there thinking this is almost like a home game there's like 30 of us here um if uh, you know even fan or regardless if you are a, an away team and you're coming into that doesn't matter where it is it, you know you look at any sport around the world if you're coming into somewhere that has got an atmosphere that's yeah. that's that's tough that automatically going oh. it definitely does especially because that is a real home court home court advantage yeah. i don't think you guys and the fans really understand how much you help without going to see another game the the, the game that reminds me i think it was the one with zach where he hit a three right at the end and i think we lost that game in the end you mentioned the other day but to just tie it and the crowd were really getting into it and what I really realized was that it didn't amp the players up, it actually relaxed them. They kind of sat into it and went, yeah, we're home, we're playing, and, we're, control and we're, con it, yeah. we're controlling the game. We're playing our game. Mm. And they relax, you know, you think of it as in you're hyping someone up, but actually you don't want someone hyped up because they're making fast decisions rather um, that without saying, what are we doing? But actually that everyone just sort of relaxed into it and they were much more competent as well as confident yeah. because they weren't overthinking it they were just running the plays they know and, and moving the way they were told to move and it, you know yeah and you know what i am directly speaking to the Portsmouth force men's players this year when i say again every single person in that raveling sports center is supporting you and wants you to do well forget the mistakes forget all that if you're trying hard that's all anyone can ask of you mm -hmm. and we are 100 percent behind you there's no pressure on you guys don't worry about any kind of pressure if there is there's no pressure on that everyone just wants you guys to do well i think that's something that they are starting to understand i think this season that we're going into if we look at the numbers, there'll definitely be a bigger difference in how people perform at home versus away. Because now they know that, okay, I've got a lot of people backing me. I don't have to worry about anything. I'm not going into an unusual or not very friendly environment. I, I can be relaxed. And it's just, um, Rob came to come and speak to us at one of our training sessions and he reiterated exactly what you just said that as long as we work hard because the people of Portsmouth will support a hard-working team then there's nothing else that we can ask for and it's a good thing because that's exactly aligned with my thought process KP's Jesse's so we know if we work as hard as we physically can then the results will be a byproduct of that. Yeah, and you know what? I, I yeah, I agree a hundred percent with what Rob said there. And I think um, this maybe it's a Portsmouth trait um, that win or lose. Okay, you know we all want to win, but win or lose, if as long as you try hard, that's what Portsmouth 
people want to watch. As it's the same thing when you go to Fratton Park. If someone's just, you know, running as fast as they can, or doing all the hustling, same on the basketball court, that's all people from Portsmouth want to see. And if they do that, it's like, okay, you win, you lose, okay. But if you if you try your best, that's all they want to. That's that's all they would ask for. Um, so yeah. So Dan, going back to your analyst days. So you've been at the Reading Rockets and, you know, definitely one thing we got to talk about is that gave you the opportunity to, you know, work with the Great Britain senior men's team. I mean, what, what was that? Was that, that must've been amazing. That was a crazy experience. I can't even lie to you. Um, when I was at Reading, I was working with um, and around AGB coach, Alan Keane. And so I was working with him and he had some connections with a with a, with the analyst that was working with him when he was with his GB team, um, a guy called Jamie Smith. And he his resume is out of this world. MBA, um, NCAA College Division Ones, like so being able to work with him, work under him was absolutely huge. And then when he invited me to come to the, some of the camps or well, the windows with the senior men team. It's like seeing these people in person, people like Ovi Soko, Miles Hessen, Dan Clark, Gabe Lasaini, Andrew Lawrence, like just seeing them in person, seeing that they're actual normal people. Yes, they're huge and they're also very good basketball players, but they are normal people from different parts of the country. will happily sit down and talk with you, will pay attention to any bits and pieces that you're giving them. <laughs> I say that, I wasn't giving them any pointers, <laughs> but um just being around and helping create that positive environment and making sure things were done when they were wanted to be done it was a great experience like great experience and i think two two things that stand really out there are one you were invited he wanted you to be there i mean that that speaks volumes firstly um yeah exactly what you said the the amount of experience you get that or just being around that environment um, you know, it's just substantial. Um, I always wondered how people, any professional sport, when you get to a national level and you're playing people who are on rival teams and then they're playing together nationally against different countries, um, how difficult that is to coach? I think the on-court stuff, yep, I don't have the answer for you because I'm not a GB level coach yet, but hopefully moving on to that stage. Um, but the interpersonal stuff, yep. I think is actually really easy to an extent because a lot of the guys grew up together. The oh. good thing that we've got over here is you can have a group of people who get picked up for England under 14s and we'll play 15s together, GBs, 16s, 18s, 20s. And it's like they've gone through the whole process together because the basketball community is quite small. Once you're playing at a, at a high level, everyone knows everyone. You're either always playing each other in playoffs, always seeing each other at Final Fours, regionals. So although you may not have played on the same team as them, you've definitely seen them around. You've yeah. had some interactions or they're the best friend of one of your teammates or they go to the same school as the school that you guys train at so there's a decent amount of overlap yeah I, you know we talked we said about the jordan 
buying jo- Charles Barkley a Rolex when they're in the playoffs, you know, just mm. so they played him a little bit <laughs> better. I th- yeah, I think he just said it, it would, Barkley would ease off him. Just that 1%. Even if it was 1%, he's easier off him 1%. Um, but, but Jordan was, you know, ferocious. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just like yeah. Any angle to win. Yeah, I get it. <clears throat> It's just you know, it's just interesting, isn't it? That dynamic of running plays and learning things and learning people's movements. You go, I'm now in close proximity with people, and to a degree, if they have grown up playing 12s, 14s, 16s, 18s, then seniors. I want to say they know my moves, but you know, to a degree, a lot of people knew Jordan's moves, but they couldn't stop him. Yeah. But there is that element of well, I know he's got it that way, and he's waiting, so he's he's actually waiting himself to flick that way. Exactly that. I mean, with a lot of our senior men, they actually don't play in the same leagues. Like we've got some people who are in the BBL, some people who are playing in Turkey, some in Japan, some in Greece, some in France. So they don't really, they haven't really developed that level of rivalry. It's more when you're in the juniors, when it's like, oh, there's these two teams that keep playing against each other in the final four, and now you have to go and be my teammate when we play national team. That's like the biggest point where it's a bit, oh, I don't like you, but we've both made an England team, so we've got to make it work. So when you have these players, as you're talking about different leagues around the world, I know we mentioned off air before, but you see the pinnacle in terms of basketball for like a coaching perspective in Europe, not necessarily the NBA. I, everyone will see the NBA as the pinnacle. There's yep. even some... Um, Euroleague coaches and Euroleague players will always say, oh yeah, the NBA... As a player. Is, yeah, as a player, the NBA is the highest. Whereas, I think if you were to look at actual X's and O's, that the Euroleague, like your Euroleague coaches are so clear in terms of there are... You get NBA coaches like Greg Popovich, who will be mentioning that they're copying plays from Anna Bradovich or some of the Euroleague coaches... And you also hear from NBA coaches themselves that a lot of the time when you're an NBA coach, it's more so like, yes, guiding, but then also man management Mm. because you have some of the best players in the world, some of the most talented athletes in the world. So you can give them frameworks and whatnot, but they're most likely, like we see a lot. There's, yes, there are actions, but a lot of the NBA is one-on-one or a two-man game. Whereas within Europe, there's a lot more scoring out of sets. Like if I, I could be completely wrong, but I know an MVP, he might have been a EuroLeague MVP that's just gone to the NBA. He was the MVP and all of his scoring was off of the catch. Wow. So it's very much a lot of the sets were being run to get him open shots at the rim or shooting threes. We've seen a lot of the big players like Joker and Luca, for example, Euro players coming straight into the NBA making massive impacts because of the way their game and, and the way they play they're not super athletic but the vision and the way they handle things it's different mm-hmm. so from a you know is the NBA changing as a whole do you think adopting more Euro ball I think so because everyone's just getting a lot more skilled I don't want to say who it started with but most recently you've got your well you've got people like Draymond Green who he's smaller but his skill set means that he can get away with it Steph everyone knows Steph Curry made shooting a huge deal and now we're getting people like Wemben Yama Chet Holmgren Bol Bol who are all seven footers but 
are shooting the three like guards, can handle the ball like guards, can be aggressive off the catch like wings. So I think everyone's slowly moving towards actually, if they are not big, strong, can run fast and jump higher, that doesn't mean that they won't be good players. Because if you've got a solid skill set like Luca, then you can get away with it. Maybe he's a bit of a anomaly. There are anomalies yeah. in there for sure. And, you know, you wouldn't look at Dirk Nowitzki and say, oh, yeah, let's give him the ball and let him hit a three. But you know he would. Yeah. And But when you mentioned Wemby, someone like that, for example, they're going to get a lot of knocking. They're, they're, he's going to get beaten up big time. Very much so. <laughs> and when you see a player like that as a coach, do you want someone like that bringing the ball up? Like people get annoyed when they see Luca bringing the ball up. He's like, he's six foot nine. He's I know he's a big dude, but he, he can handle it. But do you want, as a coach, do you want someone like that bringing the ball up? I think it's kind of the conversation of should LeBron always be a point guard? And my thing would be no, because his strength is he is a 6'9 guy a unit. <laughs> that has the same skill set as a point guard. So having two people on the court with that skill set is huge. Yeah. Or like having um, Webanyama, who's a big man who can shoot threes, that is huge because now the other team's big has to guard him. That takes them out of the key. Whereas if they're like, oh yeah, let's play him as a three or as a four, it takes away what makes him so good. Yeah. Because then it's like, okay so now he's being guarded by someone else who has the exact same skill set as him where he's like six inches taller i'd be six inches shorter and then you'll say oh yeah we'll just take him into the post well if you're just gonna send him into the post then you might as well just let him play the five where his strength is pulling the other big out of the key and if he does want to post up he still has that advantage yeah it's, it's definitely a change of game yeah definitely a change yeah, game. massively massively you can really pick up on um Dan's experience when it comes to analysation. Yep. Uh, when he, as he's talking as a coach. 100%. Yeah. Um, I mean, so Dan, just, you know, you've got that analyst experience for GB now, which I actually think is really unique um, coming in from that perspective into coaching. So let's now take that step. You becoming a coach. So you've you've mentioned you were um, coaching at university. Yeah. Um, and I'm assuming you were coaching uh, with Red Reading and some of the regional stuff as well? Yes. So whilst I was at Reading doing some performance analysis stuff with their Division 1 team and their EABL team, I was also given the reins of coaching their under-18 boys second team. So that was some good experience for me because that was my first experience of, okay, I've got a team, myself, head coaching it, taking it throughout the season, planning the practices, dealing with players wanting minutes wanting more minutes i should be that's starting, a good level as well oh yeah yeah very much so but i was surrounded by some really good coaches um alan Keane, matt johnson ben fisher um there was some a nice spanish contingent there as well so as well as me head coaching my own team i would be on the bench sometimes for our d1 men's games or i would be with the under 18 boys or girls prem team so luckily for me, I was able to see good coaches working with their players on like a Monday morning and then implement that in my team sessions on a Monday afternoon. So I was getting to do a lot of trial and error. I think the word that's just sticking out more and more is just the exposure that 
you know yeah. you've been around like with gb national league div one you know the the women's set up and then the youth set up there's just a lot of exposure of different levels of basketball that are just influencing you and your experiences and then take that forward as a coach definitely that i could not say i've taught myself everything because that would be a lie but something that i do hang my hat on is i'm more than happy and this is kind of what got me into reading in the first place when i was at university so in my second or third year i wanted to do more coaching so i reached out to the people who were running the south regional program and i was like okay so i'm a student i have no coaching experience but i want to get into coaching do you mind if i just come along to the one two-day camps to just sit down and watch and they were like yeah that's fine why not and the head coach who was there is now a head coach for an acb team in spain wow so i'm very big on go and watch people because you could pick up oh that's something really good that i could copy or i don't like that so i'm not going to do that i mean you put the hours in yeah, and, and, yeah and understanding strengths and yeah. weaknesses but it, it's what the people who hopefully listening with this who come down to the games will see you okay he's there coaching live at the game and maybe at practice it's like yeah there's a whole raft raft of stuff that you're doing outside of it and propping you up your knowledge and learning more constantly like it's a lot of time that you're putting into that yeah even like right now most people don't know this and i know some of the coaches and the players are probably thinking why am i doing this but over the summer because i'm obsessed with basketball but i also like to learn i've been going to watch as many as i can of our under 12s 14s 16s 18s training sessions over the summer just go sit down and watch see what our coaches do anything that i can pick up anything that i can help with see what our players do you scouting future players oh 100 oh 100 some of our under tours right now give them six seven years oh oh yeah yeah they're gonna be very very good muscle players i think there's a few uh, there's quite a few of us coaches that are just looking at those young guys and just you know we don't want to wish years of our life away but i mean i do can't wait I to see, see them play <laughs> yeah, you know and also that kind of like when um there's a you know a handful of us started working on the fun and fundamentals ages ago and you know it was the aspiration was to get those guys on a sunday morning to get all the way through on a 12 14 16 to get to playing men's national basketball yeah and they're not a million miles away from it now those little guys are now under 18s um and uh it yeah. goes back to what we were saying before though having that pathway and then them constantly going and then being part of something yeah they're part of basketball in portsmouth now yeah i'm and, even and it's a whole river that flows up isn't 100 percent. i love the fact that we've got the whole men's side set up and what gets me even more excited and it's just where i've just come from actually is the fact that we're having a girls team and having that under 14 girls national team just seeing how many they're yeah, getting at their training sessions it's like this is what we want like because i know faye ending who was just a um division one women's mvp who's just signed for london lions bbl team or wbbl team but gonna be playing in europe she's like not too far removed from the portsmouth area and just knowing that okay we've had one there's there was another girl um and i can't remember her last name where she carried on her basketball career like somewhere else and she has had some exposure playing for england 
it's like oh so we the talent's have, there yeah we have some of the girls on our doorstep so once we build this infrastructure then it's really gonna set off what jesse and andy rollins are doing is is going to be very very fun in the next couple of years dan do you do you realize that where you are sat right now in this studio Faye's house isn't that far away from where we are sat right now look at that um we yeah i've been Sounds in contact. a bit stalkerish just thrown <laughs> out there i just know she lives in Brighton. that's all but she um we, we have made contact with her and um when she comes back to portsmouth she's gonna come on the show that would be great yeah that'd be i mean that would be nice to have that full complete mm -hmm. package of if you are someone who wants to play basketball the, there are options yeah and obviously and also there are these idols i mean let's face it that's what Faye is yeah there are idols who 100%. she was in you know girls under 12s under 14 national league portsmouth with a pretty good team um and then obviously she turns to kestrels and ends up mvp of division one look my daughter came along drew simon a picture at one of the games i believe he still got it yes he, said to he you. still has that picture and she said to me the girls play basketball and i was like excited but a little bit sad at the same time because you mm -hmm. go it's a shame you have to ask that it should just be there yeah but it's not you know like it's very difficult to see basketball on tv i mean we've talked before about growing up in like the 80s 90s you only saw basketball if you had to order a videotape or somehow channel 4 maybe had something on early mid 90s on it it just there was no exposure for it you had to go out of your way because it's a small community in the uk yeah. and um it's funny you think all the communication all the stuff's out there nowadays we can talk to anyone around the world and yet it's still quite an insular thing so it, it's not a high cost of entry to come and play basketball it's time and mark just focus on something you just said earlier are you saying there's potential that simon olney Bearcoon mm -hmm. has inspired a future mvp yeah well she saw how badly you shot the ball and thought i could do better than that so <laughs> But you know what? I would say these guys, and I, you know, I don't think, I don't know if they realize it. We definitely see it from where we're sat that, you know, there are kids that idolize these guys and yourself. And, um, you know, the one that your, your daughter given Simon that um, picture, and that was really sweet. Um, but the one that just, just makes me smile, um, there's um, John McGadgey. Um, big power forward for the force last year he high-fived this kid as he came on um walked into court and the kid just turned around to me and he was looking at his hand like wow like jesus <laughs> just touched my hand or something like that and wow he just, or ow he was just he looked at him <laughs> like, yeah. i am not washing my hand and he was kind of just holding it looking at his hand going back to show his mom or dad or something like that but we were those kids when Portsmouth was playing 80s. We yeah. were doing that to Colin Irish and Steve Nelson. And and understand that trajectory. So it's lovely for us seeing Portsmouth having an actual team out there representing because then there are generations that can hopefully get behind it and, and move forward on that. Yeah. No, so that ends this episode of the Portsmouth Basketball Podcast. Part two of this interview will be coming out in 24 hours, so tune in for that one. But until then, wherever you are and whenever you're listening, we thank you so, so much for your support.
Till then, bye-bye.